0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I think, you know, I probably owe it to myself and my family. You know, if I can score runs here, continue to play back in Australia, I can definitely say I won't be playing that West Indies series. So I think if I get through this and, and I can make the Pakistan series, I'll definitely uh, finish up then.
1: That's David Warner back in June announcing he'd be retiring from test cricket after the January New Year's Test 2024. From that moment, it kind of always looked like the storyline of this summer would be Warner. That's still the case right now, just not maybe the way it was intended. A fiery weekend newspaper critique from former teammate Mitchell Johnson has forced defence from selectors as questions were asked about the age-old balance between the now and the future. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Peter Lawler is the chief cricket writer for the Australian. Pete, we're on the edge of another summer of test cricket. Australia's named its squad, as is often the case. David Warner at the centre of the conversation. That's because this summer has been framed by some as his tests farewell. Why is that narrative maybe not going to plan?
0: (laughs) It's curious, isn't it, that that, that the notion of somebody nominating when they will will retire infuriates people. Uh, I just can't get my head around this, but I have to accept that it must be a valid argument because so many people make it. But the Warner one, I don't care. A player says... OK, I won't be playing any further than Pakistan. I won't be playing the West Indies. I'll, that's Pakistan is, is definitely the end. You have my word, I promise you. So there's fair warning of what they're going to do. But according to all these people with opinions, you're not allowed to do that. I think it's absolutely sensible. He says, I'm leaving. It's up to selectors whether they select me. And the selectors have said, he's in the best 11, we're playing him. This notion of blooding players, getting games into somebody. I'm not sure that that's not a redundant notion in this case and perhaps going forward because, A, none of the three potential replacements we're talking about here, Harris, Renshaw, Bancroft, none of them are wet behind the ears. They've all played Test cricket. They all know how it works. They all know which end of a bat told. Are they going to be any better for playing another couple of Tests? Possibly. Are they going to be a better option than Warner? Probably not. Not in the selector's minds. Ultimately,
1: we still think he's in um, our best 11 players um, to win the first test.
0: And then we've got the other factor at play. It's the World Test Championship. Every test matters.
1: Each test is critical. Um, there's points on the line for each and every game. So our focus is very much on, on picking the 11 um, that we think can do the job. And obviously, there's um, there's roles within that for each individual and how that how that actually structures up the team.
0: I find it a little baffling that people get so upset by this idea. Warner isn't saying, you, you must pick me until the SCG. He's saying, my hat's in the ring until the SCG and if you pick me, you pick me.
1: I think part of it is that
0: we've been conditioned to think
1: in cycles when it comes to our national cricket team. And this summer, you know, we're seeing tests against Pakistan. The Windies, you know, arguably away to New Zealand in that sort of time frame. And with the exception of New Zealand, they all kind of feel like primers for next summer's series with India. And if Warner's not going to be there, are those not vital opportunities to figure
0: out who will? No. I don't think so because I think that the people that you've given these opportunities to have not knocked the door down. I think this would be a very different scenario if perhaps a Bukowski was up and about and averaging 70 in first-class cricket and missing out on these opportunities because David Warner was in his way. That's not happening. And that's certainly not happening with Harris, Renshaw and Bancroft. Look, they're all doing okay. But they're all not. They're not smashing their fist onto the desk and saying, oh, "I should be in the test team."
1: Bold him! let it go, Bancroft, he's gone straight through. wildermuth what a great delivery, big off cutter. Bancroft on his way.
0: What are we are we, we saying? Oh, they'll get better because we're, because we'll play them in test matches. Possibly that will happen. Hopefully that will happen. But at this point in the selectors' minds, David Warner is better positioned to be in that spot. Than any of those three. And I'll tell you another thing. After Dave Warner goes in January, there's two tests to play at the back end of the summer there against the West Indies. I don't think you'll necessarily see Bancroft, Renshaw or Harris playing in those tests. I think that they are really contemplating shuffling the order around and... Uh, just picking from their best 11 and and re-engineering an opener, whether that's Marnus Labashane or a Mitchell Marsh in the manner of a a Shane Watson, or perhaps even a Cameron Green. We've seen it before that they use um, Travis Head in the subcontinent quite successfully. We may even get in a situation, and I don't think it's the smartest idea, where there is, there's basically a, an opener dependent on the conditions. And uh, in Australian conditions, you would get away with a Mitch Marsh. In New Zealand conditions, I don't think you'd like to see Mitch Marsh at the top of the order. I think they'd be blowing his pad off. But in, say, Sri Lanka, which is a tour in 12 months, you'd want Travis Head at the top of the order, wouldn't you?
1: He certainly showed he could do it in the most crucial of circumstances at the one-day International World Cup. um, So much of this conversation has been engineered as a consequence of the comments that Mitchell Johnson made in the West Australian, and we know that Mitch could be an abrasive bowler. This was a fierce spell of writing, wasn't it, Pete? Why do you think it's jarred many in the cricketing community?
0: You almost need Michael Clark at the top of those columns saying... Get ready for a broken... (laughs) It was... was, He used some hostile words, our Mitch, didn't he, which probably uh, inflamed the situation. Tim Payne's come out this morning and said, look, it's a valid argument.
1: You go through the Warner stuff, and again, Mitch raises some great points. Statistically, David hasn't been playing well, and would other people be getting the run that he is getting right now? Probably not. But he's got credits, in my opinion, he's got credits in the bank because he is one of the all-time greats.
0: He said it's also a valid argument that maybe you could ask this question. Did George Bailey come into the selection role too quickly after he came out of the dressing room and has that caused any issues?
1: The George stuff, I didn't love. I thought that was a bit unnecessary, if I'm totally honest. But was George too quickly from a player to a selector it's a valid question he obviously thinks he was i don't i worked with george
0: if you strip the emotion out of it there are questions there that most people are asking but the i suppose the issue with that that article was it was pointed in its attacks on warner and bailey and there's, there's clearly been some fall a falling out behind the scenes i would suggest
1: george bailey responded to the johnson criticism now i've been sent little snippets of it um yeah i well... I hope he's okay. Particularly around Warner. Do you think that that would have stung George Bailey, given he's someone who's played, you know, a lot of cricket with Mitchell Johnson?
0: Yes, I think it would have, to be honest. I think... Didn't uh, Mitchell Johnson describe George Bailey as the nicest guy on earth, I think, in his book or words to those effects? You, You don't like to fall out with anyone and somebody that you've been in a successful World Cup campaign with, which those all three players were in that 2015 World Cup. I think like anybody, George is sensitive to criticism. You have to have a thick skin as a selector. Some selectors have thicker skins than others. But getting a personal attack like that, it's a bit above and beyond. It reminds me a little bit of some of the attacks on Andrew Hilditch, which went too far around the, the Simon Kadditch incident when Simon Kadditch lost his contract in Australian cricket. A lot of people turned on Andrew Hilditch and, and went too far. And, and looking back, you know, I, I think even I feel like I probably went a bit too hard at Andrew Hilditch in that period. You know, these are guys making decisions. They're not, they're not personal decisions and they don't, they don't deserve personal attacks.
1: The other position I'm especially interested in as we look towards this summer of cricket is one that you alluded to a little bit earlier, and that's the all-rounder slot. Mitch Marsh, obviously the incumbent. Cam Green, clearly a huge piece for Australia's cricketing future. Do you see this summer as a chance to determine
0: that role? It's a fascinating situation, isn't it? I think every Australian selector across the last sort of seven decades has prayed to have an all-rounder as good as a Mitch Marsh or a Cameron Green. Lo and behold, they've got two of them uh, at the same time. Mitch Marsh has, has stolen Cameron Green's position, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing for young players to go out of the side. It's, it's probably happened to almost every Test player, where they have to go go off, take a deep breath, and reassess the way they go about Test cricket. Green got that fantastic ninety-seven in the last round of the the Sheffield Shield.
1: That's a straight drive. (laughs) What a great shot
0: that was. Just lent on it and it'll run away for four. And we'll be chomping at the bit to get back in. And if you listen to Andrew McDonald talk, they are conscious of not keeping Cameron Green on the sidelines. And that's why I think, you know, they've signalled every possibility that Green and Marsh will play in the series against the West Indies. I'd like to see that. I think that'd be quite entertaining. The idea of Green moving up the order. I also like to see, even because he's a slow starter, he's one of those batters, a little bit like Sean Marsh, who takes a while to get going, but once they're in full flight, they're almost unstoppable. It's a curious scenario. I think that the one issue might be if a bowler goes down, Mitch Marsh probably isn't in position to pick up as many overs as Cam Green does, which is surprising given that Green's younger and you would have expected him to be a little bit more fragile. It's a great position to have, isn't it? Where it kills you to leave somebody out of the team. That's a sign that the Australian cricket team's in a pretty good place.
1: The summer of test cricket gets underway next week. Pete Lawler will be covering it all for the Australian. Pete, thanks so much for your time. Good to chat, Patrick. Headlines. Ange Postacoglou's Tottenham has halted a three-game losing streak coming from a goal down twice... To draw 3-3 with Premier League big dogs Manchester City on their home deck. It's a credit to them and for me it's just about continually trying to give them that belief that that's the way forward and like I said it's easy for me I'm on the touchline and you know things look a lot simpler but when you're out there and you have to do it um, especially against such a, a great football team it's, it's not easy so you know my job is to just keep trying to encourage the guys that, you know, they are capable of doing it and and this is the road we need to go. Spurs have been beset by injuries and suspension in recent times, but moved to fifth after sharing the points. City slides to third. Arsenal's top, followed by Liverpool. Less impressive were the fortunes of the Matildas over the weekend. Tony Gustafsson fielded an understrength team and they were smashed 5-0 by Canada. Australian rules and Brisbane is still celebrating its second AFLW title after running over the top of the Kangaroos at Princess Park in the grand final. Dakota Davidson had been under an injury cloud coming into the game but kicked two vital goals for the Lions. Did you see the big jerry can in the celebrations for Brisbane? If you're wondering what that was all about, Davidson explains. The jerry can, so we did a camp at the start of the year and it it just basically, we had to carry them for about 20 kilometres through a trek. So, uh, Every time times get tough, we always throw up the jerry can so everyone knows that it's time to work hard just like we did in pre season. No jerry can in the WBBL, but glory for the strikers as Adelaide defended 125 to beat the Heat and claim back to back championships. And India has finished its T20 series with Australia with a comfortable victory as the hosts won the series 4 1. And Taylor Adams has started life at the Sydney Swans, but the man who missed the Collingwood flag due to a hamstring injury still hurting over his departure from the pies and the flag that got away. It's been been a really difficult eight weeks. Certainly played a role in a small part in me wanting to probably remove myself from the footy club, in a sense. I don't think I'll ever fully get over that. Yeah, it's not just me, it's my family, you know, my support network, the people at the footy club that put so much time and effort in and then you fall one hurdle short, so. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. That is not your usual new club media opportunity, and we're here for the honesty. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Bobby Penny. Thanks to SEN, Cricket Australia, Channel 9, Optus Sport and Channel 7 for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC
0: podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.